What's up, everybody? You're listening to On The Case, episode nine. It's your girl, Janae Taylor. And I'm Abigail Ruman. First, we want to thank everyone for supporting this podcast. If you haven't done so already, please rate us and write a review. We would really appreciate it. Now we have two very special stories that were just recently published on our website. One is by the one and only Abigail Ruman, who is right beside me. The story is about sophomore Brooks scholar Marcos Feliciano turning his passion for fashion into a profitable business called Costa's Closet. The other story is written by case marketing intern Kier Shannon about junior Brooks scholar Umbar Polanco Pino. His parents moved him and his siblings to America from Venezuela when he was one years old in hopes of a better life. Now, Umbar is thriving in MU's College of Engineering and has even taken part in NASA research. Both of these stories are up on our website now at case.missouri.edu. We also recommend that y'all subscribe to our bi-weekly newsletter, Case Connection, for stories like these in the future. You can find it at the bottom of our case website. Again, it's case.missouri.edu. Also, if you need help with your math classes, try attending Math at Case, a free tutoring program led by Course TAs. For more information, contact the Case office at 573-882-9208. Also, catch the first episode of Bookcase and Chill next week. Fellow Case Marketing intern Olivia Evans and I will be discussing Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow. The episode will be appearing in the same feed as this podcast. Make sure to check it out and keep it bookcase and chill. So for our uppercase segment, we're continuing our Get to Know series with Dr. Eli Keene from MU's LGBTQ Resource Center. They sat down with our very own Becca Noon to talk about what the center is all about. We also got to sit down with Mel Constantine Maceo from the Center Project here in Columbia. We will get to those interviews in a little bit, but first we want to talk about how we're involved in the LGBTQ community and what it means to us. Now, to be honest, um, for me coming into this episode, I was really nervous. I felt like I support the community, but I felt like I wasn't educated enough to speak on it specifically, and I felt like I would say the wrong thing. And I didn't want to come out here and sound ignorant, which is why I'm really glad that Abigail's here today subbing in for Devante since she is a part of the LGBTQ community. So so with that being said, tell us a little about yourself and your involvement with the LGBTQ community. Of course. Um, so I have understood my um, identity, at least in like some parts, since uh, middle school, but um as I grew up and as I like learned more about the community, I kind of found the language that I needed in order to truly understand who I am. And I mean, it's still a continuous process. I'm still like working through some of that. Um, but I do identify as, um, queer, which while a lot of people, um, still find that term to be derogatory, I personally find it as a perfect identifier for who I am. Um, so I identify as queer and my involvement within the community, um, I recently was able to get an internship with the Center Project, and I'm the education intern, um, and so I help them develop some of the educational resources that they use to um, teach people about the community within the larger community of Columbia and mid-Missouri. So I know the LGBTQ community is slowly growing, and there are new identities that people want to be addressed as. So how would you say the acronym is changing or growing? It's a really interesting process because um, the acronym is mostly how the community is recognized by the outside community. Um, And so when it started, it was um, LGBT. And so that meant lesbian, um, 
gay gay by trans um and then it expanded more as more identities were being um like recognized throughout society because obviously like these identities have existed since the beginning of time it's just a matter of when they started to be recognized yeah um and so they started to add more letters um and the one that i settled on um is lgbtqia plus um the q depending on who you ask, stands for um, queer questioning. The I stands for intersex. The A stands for asexual, aromantic, um, or agender. Um, Sometimes people refer to it as ally, but that's like a debate within the community itself. Um, But the plus is like the part that I find to be the most important because a lot of the identities um, that are being discussed and kind of um, discovered aren't in the first like chunk of letters um and so i always identify it as lgbtqia plus and obviously there's a bunch of debate on like how that should happen within like the core community within like the wider community um but personally i always like including the plus because um when it comes to gender identities there's not a ton in that core group of letters um and so i always want to include as many people as i possibly can because the issues that impact one of us impact all of us For me, I know being a black female here on campus, it was hard for me to find my sense of belonging. And we spoke on that in like previous podcasts. But I would want to know for you, because I can't relate to being LGBTQIA+, how was that for you finding your sense of belonging here in mid-Missouri at Mizzou on this campus? So it it, it's really... um it's weird because all of those have to be like addressed at like a different levels because mid Missouri uh, in general doesn't have a great culture around the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, but then as you get like closer into the campus, um, you get like a little bit more accepting, a little bit more openness um, surrounding the community. Um, and so I, when I first got here, I struggled a lot with finding, um, a space on this campus. Um, I did encounter a lot of instances of homophobia, um, because I, obviously people don't have to fit into stereotypes in order to be, um, queer. Um, but I do, when you look at me, I do fit into a lot of them. Um, and so I encountered a lot of homophobia in that kind of sense. Um, but as I kind of, grew into my own space academically um as a student I found a lot more allies through that um and there's obviously resource centers um the LGBTQ resource center being one of them and um the center project being another um but I found a lot of support through um professors and so um one of the places that I first felt the most comfortable um, on this campus was actually in a women's and gender studies class because that's so like, it's a welcoming experience. Um, and I remember that class so much because that professor put in so much effort to make sure that people knew that they were accepted. Um, I remember that semester was, um, that was whenever the Supreme court was deciding on if people could be, uh, discriminated against in the workplace, for being um, like either queer or trans. Um, and that was a really hard time for a lot of queer people. And especially, like even in like the academic setting, like we have to keep up with all of our assignments. We have to do all of this um, and also carry this like 
kind of this like emotional weight of possibly seeing our rights being taken away like in front of us. Um, and I remember my professor, um, Professor Julie Elman, um, who's iconic, you should take any class that you can possibly take with her. Um, but I remember her sending out an email saying, I want to recognize that this is a really tough time for some of you. And I want you to know that if you are struggling, you can talk to me if you are struggling to like interact with that emotional um, weight and also deal with your classes. I'm willing to work with you on my specific class and that kind of stuff. Um, And so it's not so much about finding a campus culture that fits it. It's about finding the specific people on campus that were able to support, um, not only me as a student, but also me as a queer individual. I know for you, like getting into your community was different because for me, I grew up in a black area, moved to a white area. So finding myself was a color thing for you. It was a identity, personal thing. And for me, I can say I was already in a community. I was in a black community. I was just finding myself for you. You had to find your community, which is completely different on a, they're different levels. Like it's still a process for both of us, but our process is definitely different and learning those things within our education, within ourselves is might take longer than others, you know? Yeah. And it's a really, it's a really strange experience because, um, like you, you have to interact with the things that you learn and then also force yourself to learn more beyond that. Um, so I grew up in actually like a religious family. Um, and so I went to a lot of churches. I found, um, there was a lot of, um, attachment to the religious space as a, um, as a member of my family. Um, and so discovering anything about my sexuality was also in tandem with the religious identities, um, that my family shared. Um, and so the education aspect, and obviously like everyone has to learn everything else beyond themselves. Um, I, as a queer person, I obviously like, I understand some experiences, but I don't understand everybody in my community. Um, I also, as a white person, I have to educate myself on issues of race. I have to educate my system, uh, myself on issues of ethnicity. Um, and so when it comes to education, it's not something that like, I, I don't want people to look at the situation and go, oh my God, I can't believe I haven't been educated already. It's one of those things that you can look at and you can go, wow, there's something I can do. Um, because education is one of the easiest ways to contribute to the inclusion of LGBTQIA plus identities. Because when you, when you read something about a community and you're able to include it in any conversation, all of a sudden, all of your conversations have the ability to open it up to a deeper discussion. Yeah. So when it comes to, um, the campus and the LGBTQ center, um, one of the first things I actually, whenever I toured Mizzou, I, I wasn't looking for the LGBTQ center, but um, there was a moment whenever I saw it that I was like, wait a second, that's something that couldn't exist, like possibly exist, like to fathom that a university could have that on its campus. Um, And obviously like that doesn't mean that the campus is done evolving and learning, um, but it was just one of those things where you, you see something and it's a recognition that everyone is moving in a direction that is more inclusive. So it was really cool to get to see um, Becca Newton sitting down with the coordinator of that resource center um, to kind of learn what's going on with it and um, what it's doing for the campus culture. 
So here's that conversation. Hey, I'm Becca Newton, marketing intern for CASE. Joining me is Dr. Eli Keene, coordinator for the MU's LGBTQ Resource Center. Eli, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here. So we're continuing our Get to Know series here on the podcast, and we want to highlight the LGBTQ Resource Center. Um, so first of all, when was the LGBTQ Resource Center formed here on campus? Uh, that's a great question. The LGBTQ Resource Center has actually been around since 1995. Um, so we are actually coming up on our 30th anniversary in just a few years. Oh, that's so exciting. So can you tell me why it's so important to have this resource center here on MU's campus? Yeah, so the Resource Center really works to foster a welcoming and inclusive environment um, by serving as a source of information, awareness, and resources on LGBTQ identity, culture, um, and allyship. So we really support LGBTQ students, um, not only through our student organizations, but also through programs like the Proud Tigers Peer Mentorship Program, um, which is so important in developing leadership skills and improving retention of LGBTQ students. Um, and as well, we also provide support and programming and expertise on gender and sexuality to all members of the Mizzou community. So we really work hard to make Mizzou a place where LGBTQ identities are affirmed and celebrated. That sounds like such an important resource to have on campus here. Yeah. You mentioned uh, a couple different programs earlier there. Uh, what different types of events and programs are provided for students throughout the year? So we have lots and lots of events every year. Um, the Peer, the Proud Tigers Mentorship Program is something that we run um, throughout the academic year starting in the fall where we connect um, upper-class mentors undergraduate mentors with incoming LGBTQ first-year students to really make sure that they have a strong point of contact where they can help getting acclimated to college, um, you know, work through any identity kind of uh, coming out concerns that they might have, and really get connected to the resources that we have here on campus. Um, and in addition to that, we have lots of student organizations um, and many, many events through the year. And I won't, I won't name all of the events that we have because uh, I'm sure we don't have time for that. But um, the three big ones that I will mention are Coming Out Week, Trans Empowerment and Awareness Week, and Pride Month. So the first two are celebrated in the fall semester um, in October and November, respectively. And Coming Out Week is really when um, we, we have just kind of a celebration of acknowledging LGBTQ identities. And that's when we do our traditional coming out group photo in front of the columns um, that's, that's published in the Maneater each year. It's a really important tradition that we have. It's been around for almost 30 years. Trans Empowerment and Awareness Week is a really fantastic opportunity for folks to learn about trans and non-binary identities. Um, and then Pride Month, which we celebrate right now in April, um, is a month full of social and educational events um, intended to raise awareness and build community. Right. That is such a vital piece of community to have here at Mizzou. So like you said, Pride Month is celebrated in April, but I know National Pride Month is originally celebrated in June. So can you explain why exactly we have that change? 
Yeah, I think it's, uh, I don't know that everyone actually knows that we celebrate Pride Month in April, um, but you're right that really internationally Pride Month is celebrated in June. Um, but because we are a college campus and there are so few people here in June um, during the summer months, um, Mizzou did a really, uh, you know, logical and clever thing and made April Pride Month so that everybody, students, faculty, and staff can really take full advantage um, and can benefit from our fantastic programming throughout the month. What are you most looking forward to in celebrating Pride Month this month? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. Um, so this month, we are actually uh, offering a statewide virtual conference for LGBTQ college students across the state of Missouri. Um, I have been working really hard with a group of uh, folks from t 11 other universities and colleges across the state to create this uh, month-long virtual conference where we have student-led sessions facilitating identity caucuses and discussions, um, doing presentations, offering workshops almost every day of the month. And so it's, it's been a really wonderful experience and um, we've got lots of students signed up so far, but we've still got, you still got lots of time to um, sign up and uh, attend many of the wonderful sessions that we have. Where can people sign up if they want to get involved or um, help celebrate Pride Month? So you can go to our website. We have kind of a central location where all of our Pride Month calendar is located, um, which is lgbtq.missouri.edu backslash pride. Awesome. Thank you. Pride Month is all about um, being proud of your identity and coming out and being who you are. Mm -hmm. So how are people able to become better allies to the LGBTQ community during this month and every month of the year? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so, you know, some of the best things that people can do is to educate yourself, right? Just, just learn, be open to hearing about um, various LGBTQ issues, read articles, um, read books, take action when there is something that you see that could be more inclusive you know, try to figure out how to make it more inclusive for LGBTQ people. Amplify the voices of LGBTQ people. So if you're on social media, find trans and queer people to follow and to read what they have to say about their lives, their experiences, um, and what they need from allies, right? Folks can also request a safe space training, which is another uh, program that the Resource Center offers. Um, it's kind of a basic allyship training. And anybody uh, throughout the year can request a safe space training for their department, their organization, their classroom, um, whatever group that they're in. Um, seek out fiction and media that have positive representations of LGBTQ people. You know, a lot of times in fictional worlds, LGBTQ people kind of have tragic storylines, right? Um, but we're getting to a point where there's a lot more positive representation, and it's really wonderful to be able to have people who want to be allies to be able to see this, uh, these positive representations in the media. Talking about those positive representations and resources that we have, what is your favorite part about working at the LGBTQ Center? Oh, gosh, um, that is a really great question. Um, you know, I really love working with the students. 
Um, they really are my teachers in so many ways. They are my positive representation. <laughs> um, you know, being quite a bit older than them um, and growing up in a time when being trans or queer was really not so supported. Um, it's so wonderful to see my students feel much more empowered and knowledgeable and confident um, than I was at their age. And um, I just, I love watching students lift each other up. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not the, I won't, I won't be surprising anyone by saying that I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve. And whenever I see students lifting each other up, like tears, I have tears because it's just so beautiful. Um, and they provide wonderful, supportive mentorship to each other. They build those leadership skills that are so important after college. And, you know, I can brag all day about my amazing student staff who work at the Resource Center. They are endlessly creative in their ideas and passionate about supporting their peers. Um, it's a really wonderful thing to see. So that, you know, working with the students is definitely my favorite part. Right. It's good to have such a wonderful support system. Yeah. Um, so my last question here would be um, about the LGBTQ community and, like you said, the people we look up to. So who would you say your biggest inspiration is within the LGBTQ community? Oh, that is a good question, but it's also an unfair question <laughs> <laughs> because I have so many. Um, you know, Laverne Cox, Audre Lorde, um, Larry Kramer, Janelle Monet, Bayard Rushton, Marsha P. Johnson. Um, so many people who have made, who have just spent their life taking the risks that we needed to push our society forward. Um, and I guess I would say Dean Spade is probably right up there with um, those other folks as someone who is one of my biggest inspirations. Um, he founded the Sylvia Rivera Law Project and has really helped shape the way that um, we understand like the social forces that impact trans and non-binary people and how to really build strong communities and support each other. Um, and so I, I really resonate with his writing, with his work. Um, and he's really informed me as a scholar in terms of um, how I understand LGBTQ issues. So, um, but yeah, there's too many to just pick just one. Right. Yeah, that is an unfair question, but it's great that we have so many people that we are able to look up to. Absolutely. So that's all for me. Thank you so much for the, all this great information. And we really appreciate your time. You're very welcome. It was great talking to you. Shout out to Becca for coming in with that great interview with her debut on this podcast. I really thought it was very informational. What do you think? Yeah, I think that was great. Um, I think whenever we're discussing resources, it's also important to look beyond campus um, because even if you can't find um, a space within the Mizzou LGBTQ Resource Center, um, Columbia actually has the first and only LGBTQ uh, Resource Center for Mid-Missouri, um, and that's the Center Project. I have a unique relationship with the center project i'm an intern for their education committee um so i help them create um resources and education materials to kind of educate 
people not within the community um, and also provide resources to the people who are in the community. So we had the opportunity to sit down and talk with Mel Constantine Maceo about the kind of the um, things that the Center Project offers to the people within the community. So let's get into it. Now we want to bring in Mel Constantine Maceo, PRISM Coordinator and Volunteer Educator at the Center Project. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So to start off, when was the Center Project formed and what exactly is it? So the Center Project was founded in 2003 and um, it's been a journey of getting a community center established here in mid-Missouri. So it was originally a group of people who just wanted to get a community center up and running. There originally was not an LGBT community center here in Columbia. And um, through a lot of hard work and fundraising and um, endless volunteer hours, we established the Center Project. And the Center Project currently serves um, LGBTQ community across mid-Missouri. And we have a variety of different like social and support programs um, that serve various aspects of the LGBT community. And then also um, educational um, programs that serve just the general, the general population, not just LGBTQ people. So why is it important that the centers utilized and made aware that it exists to the community here in Columbia? So we have have um, a variety of social support programs that um, are really vital to providing support, right, to the LGBTQ community that doesn't, that might not get that in um, the other aspects of their life. So we have the program PRISM, which is for LGBTQ youth ages 11 to 18 years old. And so if they're not getting support at school or at home, um, or just as they want to connect to other LGBTQ young people, this is a space where they can come and do that. And then we also have a program for um, parents of LGBTQ youth called Parents for Parents. And this um, exists for parents to learn how to better support their children and to help um, navigate some of the challenges that may come along with having an LGBTQ child. Uh, we also have a group called Gender Blender, which is for transgender and gender nonconforming adults. And due to you know a lot of discrimination and um, harassment, that the trans community faces, it's really important to have a designated safe space for trans people to come and um, support each other, navigate through social or medical transition, and just have, you know, other friends that are trans. So that, so that could be an um, extension of the LGBTQ um, resources on campus that, you know, people above 18 can access Gender Blender if, um, if they want to just branch out and get into the community. So it's always good to um, have these resources in the community to provide um, these supports that are so needed. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think you sort of hit on it earlier. And I did a little research before about your center that this is the only non-academic LGBTQIA center in mid-Missouri. So with that, do you see that changing in the future? And what impact do you think that has on the LGBTQIA community in mid-Missouri? Yeah. So, yeah, we're the only LGBTQ community center here in the mid-Missouri area. And there are other LGBTQ groups in other towns. Um, but 
they don't have like a, a center. Um, there is actually the Glow Center in Springfield, Missouri, but that's kind of far away from us. So um, hopefully um, more of these centers can be established. Actually, in the original um, imagination of the center project, like back in 2003, they wanted to create satellite centers in, the, in different areas in mid-Missouri so that we could, you know, spread the um, social supports to these other areas and just so it's more accessible to people who aren't within the immediate area of Columbia. Um, we have people who drive in from hours away to access our events and our programs. So it would definitely be better to be able to have um, more centers in other parts of Missouri. And so how can people get involved with your organization? So there are... Um, volunteer opportunities throughout the year. And one of the biggest volunteer opportunities is Pride Fest. And Pride Fest happens um, in August every year. And it's purposely in August, even though LGBTQ Pride is in June, but it's purposely purposely in August so that um, students who attend colleges in uh, Columbia and surrounding areas can access our Pride. And you know, this is for um, the case that maybe they don't feel comfortable or they don't have a community in their hometowns when they're home for summer, you know, in, in June. And so um, they can volunteer for Pride Fest and work the, um, you know, various tasks there. Or we have the education team. If there are people who are passionate about um, education and um, developing educational resources for the the community, they could join the the Bright Education team, and um, there might be more volunteer opportunities coming up in the future of you know fundraising. We actually have a booth at the MU um, football concession stands every football season, and the money that um, we make at that concession stand, you know, a, a part of it goes to the center project. So if you want to see kind of behind the scenes at the concession stands at the football games, it's a really fun way to. Um, get involved. And so um, part of celebrating Pride is also recognizing the important history of the um, community. What figure in LGBTQIA plus history has inspired you? Um, I think since I I work with PRISM, which is our LGBTQ youth group, and I'm always really inspired by really LGBTQ youth who are persisting in this homophobic, transphobic, queerphobic culture, and then also a culture which prioritizes adults over youth. Um, and so Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera were both teenagers when they were, um, when they were establishing star, um, house, which provided housing for trans youth and other LGBTQ youth in New York city. And they were on the forefronts of the LGBTQ movement in New York city. And so I'm inspired by just their ability to persist and fight for their community at such a young age. Yeah, and I I think it's really cool how the history of the community is coming to light. And I thought that me, I support the community and as an ally, I would love to become more educated and involved. So I wanted to know what people can do to create a more inclusive environment for the LGBTQIA plus community and how we can go about that. Yeah, that's a great question. So I find that just educating ourselves with, um, there are a lot of wonderful books and documentaries about LGBTQ people. I specifically recommend um, Janet Mock. She's a black trans woman who 
um, has two books actually that are memoirs and she has a wonderful job of talking about her own life and also just general um, experiences of, of trans people and kind of connecting it to some of the struggles but then also some of the wonderful things right that um, happen in trans people's lives so books documentaries are a great way to start that educational journey and how to create LGBTQ inclusive spaces. I think the easiest way is just thinking about, you know, who am I leaving out? Um, how does this environment or the language I'm using or um, the, you know, the groups I'm forming, who, who may that be leaving out? And that encompasses all different kinds of marginalized identities. So not just LGBTQ people, but, you know, we have um, LGBTQ people of color, LGBTQ people with disabilities. So just always trying to bring in um, other people's perspectives so that we're not leaving anyone out. Yes, of course, inclusivity is very important. And so um, to finish out, is there anything that you think is important to understand either about the community or about pride or about the history of the community um, that we haven't talked that, about yet? Um, learning about pride and celebrating pride and the history of our community is a great way to recognize um where we've been and the origins of pride, you know, fighting against discrimination and harassment of our community, particularly police brutality against our community that, you know, that's the original origins of pride. And just to bring that same energy into today's movements for LGBTQ equality and justice. Um, there are a lot of terrible, um, you know, bills and discrimination happening around the country, specifically against trans people in, in this country right now. And so, I think it's a great way to celebrate pride is to stand up for our community and um, celebrate LGBTQ people by fighting for our rights. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we got a lot of knowledge and I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. It was wonderful chatting with you. Now it's time for our lowercase segment. As you guys know, millions of people are getting vaccinated and states are slowly opening back up. And with that being said, we might see some type of normalcy this summer, hopefully, fingers crossed. So this summer, if it were to go back to normal and you were able to go somewhere, what would be your dream vacay spot? Is money a part of the question? Money is always a part of the question. Let's be real. I'm trying to think of locations within Missouri and my budget. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. My parents, my parents do live in Michigan, so my dream summer affordable vacation would be okay. Upper Peninsula, Michigan. Okay, that counts. That counts. Because if I were to say I was going back to my family, I would just go back to St. Louis, which is still in Missouri. Now, let's just say money wasn't part of it, and you had all this a wad load of cash, just won the lottery, where would you go? Oh, this is so difficult because I have, like, two parts of my brain and, like, the child side is, like, money's not an option. Go to Disney World. But <laughs> the part of my brain that's, like, an adult is, like, you want new experiences. You can ride a roller coaster at, like, Worlds of Fun or Six Flags or something. Um, that mm -hmm. side of my brain is, like, I don't know, climb a mountain or something. Okay. Where? Um, there's so many mountains. <laughs> Just a mountain. Somewhere, somewhere. Okay, would I it mean, be in the U.S., out of the U.S.? Out of the U.S. Okay. Oh, my God. If I had the opportunity to leave the U.S. at this moment, 100%. Okay, Abigail's dream vacation is climbing a mountain outside of the U.S. Perfect. But 
pick a country just pick one okay if i if i had to i would say because i think it would be cool (laughs) it wouldn't it it wouldn't it wouldn't be like a dream summer location but like where iceland (laughs) iceland iceland i can't remember if that's the greenland iceland which one's cold greenland is it opposite i think it's opposite yeah because greenland's the one that you is like at the top Uh uh-huh and then iceland is the one that's not yeah i think it's opposite because it's like a viking thing yeah but i want to i want to i want to there's actually like a hike in iceland that you can do that's like multiple miles in like mountains i almost did it for a spring break and then covid happened oh yikes (laughs) i don't know if i would say i'm a fan of mountains because I went to one in Cali and like a swarm of bees attacked me. So I'm not a fan of climbing things. But I would definitely say if I, I have like three places. Okay. Australia. Australia's, Australia's up there. Um, Just a little. The kid in me wants to go to Atlantis in the Bahamas. Because like the commercials. You're like, oh my God, I want to go there. Like old people, sandals, young people, Atlantis. You get what I'm saying? 100%. And then, okay. I'm a little like weeb. So I'm sort of into anime and in japan i know they have like this naruto place and then i know they also have like the mario place which i've beaten like every mario game not gonna lie you guys don't need all that information but that is definitely a dream spot i mean as long as i go somewhere out of missouri i will be happy honestly that's a solid criteria for any vacation right anywhere but home not missouri (laughs) i don't know why this would be a vacation spot you know that's just me. I've lived here my whole life. If you like Missouri, you do you. But with that being said, we want to thank you guys for listening and thank lovely Abigail for joining us today. We miss you, Devante. Love you always. But thanks for listening. Like, review, leave a comment, subscribe, anything to support us. We love you all. Thank you for listening. Peace out. Peace out.